Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Chrissy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And today's show was another request. Yes, it was. It's been a minute since we've had a request. I know, but this one's kind of interesting. It's kind of a fun, lighthearted show, and it's all about those phrases that people say. You say them, I say them, everybody says them. And most of the time, we have no idea where they come from. Right. (laughs) And some of these, I think people will be really surprised. I was surprised of where they come from, and some I'm... Didn't realize came from racist slurs yep. that I'm not going to use anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, and some of them, I bet you when you hear them, it's like, I did not know it meant that. But And we're talking about things like cats got your tongue, pot calling the kettle black, those kinds of things. And a lot of them, even though we have the meeting today, is not what they really started out with. So let's kick this off. What's the first one that comes out of the bag there? Well, the one that you said first was a start there with the cat got your tongue. That's an interesting one. I think (laughs) we've heard, you know, it refers generally to a lot of times we think of children when they do something wrong and then they Mm -hmm. don't respond to us or um, we're guilty about something. That's generally if somebody comes back and says, oh, the cat got your tongue, right? (laughs) Um, When you're lost for words, someone's being quiet or just refusing to speak. Interesting because this actually uh, dates back to two different things. I don't know which one is actually... Uh, the original meaning, both are kind of disturbing. I was going to say, after um, you hear them, it isn't going right. to matter. Uh, the first is that it came from the English Navy, and that they used to use a cat of nine tails for flogging, and they would punish um, their victims so severely with this cat of nine tails that they would leave them speechless. They were not able to speak. Uh, and I so, that's right. So <laughs> sailors would actually then refuse to share secrets because they were afraid of the punishment of this cat of nine tails. And the second is that back during ancient times in Egypt, the liars and blasphemers, they would actually cut out their tongue and throw them out for the cats to eat. So either one is not very pleasant. Let's think about that. For, I mean, we say it like, you know, oh, Johnny, what's the cat got your tongue? You know, and we yep. say it in a way of... Playfulness, Playfulness almost, and wow. Yep, comes from not such a good place. There you go. I mean, woo. But let's talk about another one, because another thing that people say is, I'm my brother's keeper. Where does that one kind of come from? Well, I think most people do realize that that comes out of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, um, it talks about the fact that Cain murdered his brother Abel, and that God asked Cain, you know, where's your brother? And Cain answered, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? So in this instance, it's kind of referring to a negative, right? No, I am not my brother's keeper. Right. And I think that we see it used today in in both fashions, that no, I'm not my brother's keeper. But then we also see it used, because we're just past Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. We see it used in in a way, a cultural way of we are our brother's keeper. I know, and I so. think it's interesting how we flip-flop on that one because mm-hmm. I've always heard it saying, I'm not my brother's keeper. Referring then, to making the reference to that I'm not responsible for somebody else. Exactly. But in this time, you know, we're doing this show around Christmas, is I am my brother's keeper. So, it, I mean, right. I guess it can flip-flop yeah. back and, and forth. It, and if you listen to our Christmas and our New Year's show, this has been around the concept for Ever. Ever, right? That we do provide for the less fortunate, especially this time of the year, mm-hmm. right? That we do want people to eat on Christmas. You know, we might not care if they eat in July, but we really <laughs> care that they eat on Christmas Day. You know, we talk about this all the time, right? This concept of well, you need to honor whether it be, 
you know, a millionaire or a homeless person. We, you need to see them for who they are and the place that they hold on this planet, that no one is more important than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Those are concepts I believe of, we are a brother's keeper, that we are kind of responsible to be good people and being good people is helping to take care of those people that need us to take care of them. Right. You know, in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Well, I guess that's what most people are going to think when they take away from that. It's like, we're not asking you to let them move in and get a Yeah, I mean, it's just like being kind. Right, having compassion and empathy for others. You know, I I believe that that's a form of, of taking care of other people, which is, I believe, a step on this of I am my brother's keeper because it kind of is my responsibility to show up in this world and be compassionate and be loving and be that example that Christ set out in the world. And that for me is important. I agree. And I, so, I, so when we're talking about this one, we're taking the not out of it, right? We're, we're right. just saying I am my brother's keeper. We're not to putting point, the not yeah. in there. <laughs> exactly. But I think that, you know, you can flip side on that and use it in that context too. But I think this is an interesting one that most people are going to think, no, I am not my brother's keeper. I am not my, responsible for what somebody else does. True. But you are responsible for what you do, which is making a difference on the planet, That's which true. is with other people. And, and loving and being compassionate and kind to other people. Definitely social beings, so, you know, you I mean, we, we do all have a place in this role. But which leads us in to the next one. Born with a silver spoon in your mouth. This was interesting because generally it's referred to, you know, for rich people, right? And so that's, right. where, that's where it came from. When a child is christened, it was traditionally expected that the godparents would provide a silver spoon as a gift. But poor people could not do that. So it would take a long time to actually buy this spoon where if you were rich, then you you got it right away. You got it right, you know, when you were christened. So that's kind of where the phrase came from. If anybody's on YouTube and you want some inspiration, look up Lou Holtz, who was, if you don't know, the coach for the University of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And he was the 2015 commencement speaker at Steubenville University. And he gave an amazing speech on this topic. It's titled that, Born with a Silver Spoon in His Mouth. And it's fascinating because basically he says, if you're born in this country, we're all born with a silver spoon in our mouth. I agree Because we have free choice. We have free will. We have an, a world in which that we live that if you want to work hard and go out and be something, you have an opportunity to do that. Other places in the world do not have that. So that was kind of his take on it. There's two things that the rule in life is that you're either growing or you're dying. And I thought that was fabulous. And he said, it didn't matter whether you're a tree, whether you're grass, whether you're talking about your marriage, whether you're talking about your kids, whether you're talking about your business or just you in general, you're either growing or you're dying. Hmm. And that you really have to learn to learn and keep learning and keep experiencing and keep living your life. And it was interesting because he said that, you know, he won national championships and he was the best of the best and all this thing. He said he would finish second, uh, be number two at the end of the football season. And people thought he was a failure. But if you finish last in medical school, you're still considered a doctor. So it really is about learning. It's not about, you know, any of those things that come with money, power, or possession. So it was fascinating. Uh, it really is an inspirational speech. I encourage everybody to go listen to it. He talks about a lot of other things on this topic that are fascinating. But that was the biggest well, thing to me was that your life goes according to the choices that you make. Exactly. And you can have the silver spoon 
or not have it. It's up to you. Right. Or you can be the person, and this is unfortunate that most people do this, is that if anybody has $2 more than somebody else, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Right. You know, I could remember as a kid, my parents lived in the same neighborhood as my friends, yet... We were rich. How is that possible? Right, <laughs> we exactly. We here with you, you know. But it is amazing the the way the perception. people think. It's yeah, the perception. perception. You know, yeah. and, and on success and money, it's how you define it, right? Mm-hmm. That was another thing. And I think we're going to get a show out of this, that when, when you take your last breath, do you want to be successful or do you want to be significant? Yeah. Um, because I think to be significant is also inclusive of being successful, but you don't have to be significant to define yourself as successful. That's true. And yeah. So what's really more important, success or significance? And that's where that's p- what people have to decide. But I got to tell you, when we talk about born with a silver spoon in your mouth, I did not realize that people had to wait 400 years to buy <laughs> their godchildren a silver spoon. I mean, that, that blew yep. me away. But I, can I don't know that they do that anymore, but that is, Gosh, historically, that is historically where the phrase came from. So there you so go. So now we know. Now we know. Well, and I guess that some folks that had godchildren, you know, was going to get a silver spoon, but I guess that's when pigs fly, right? I there mean, you go. Nice <laughs> that leads us right back one. into the next one. That's right. So this was a figure of speech that describes an impossibility and implication that the circumstances in question are never going to occur when pigs fly, even though it is, in fact, a marathon over in Columbus. I never run it, but uh, really? they have a pigs fly marathon. But, to the, you know, the saying is, in fact, been traced back to a proverb of Scotland in 1862. It made it back into mainstream in 1865 by Lewis Carroll's book, Alice Adventures in Wonderland, because that's what the walrus said, is whether pigs had wings. And he made it into the United States by an Alabama-born writer, Howell Vines, in his novel, Green Thicket World, in 1934. So it's been around a, a minute. It's been around a um, long time. But yeah, we just heard this this morning. We just added this this morning. Right. Uh, well, and I got to tell you, it's one of those things that everybody says. That yeah. There's not a person out there listening that, when pigs fly, who says that? Everybody, everybody says that, <laughs> Exactly. <you know? laughs> uh, meaning that it's impossible, it's not going to happen. But when we don't do what we have to do, and people tell us when pigs fly, then that's when you need to go the extra mile to show them how pigs nice, fly, right? Nice, I mean, Yeah, go the extra mile. It has two meanings. Uh, it comes, it's biblical. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 41, that if someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles with him. Uh, it became a law for the Roman soldiers that they could force you to carry their equipment for one mile, not any further. So it actually is a thing. A law. It was a law. <laughs> it was a law. It was talked about uh, by Jesus himself. We believe this to be true, right? Even right. if it was a law or not, you can't find your own potential if you don't push past where you've been. You, you oh, can't go any further until you go further than you have already. Right. So, and we um, use it in the terminology of bettering yourself. Right. Doing more. Stretch targets. Stretch yeah. yeah, the life begins at the end of your comfort zone. We can exactly. key phrase this all day long, but it is so true. But it dates back to an original law. A law. I mean, said, actual law right. that but, was literal, that you had yeah. to go an extra mile to carry somebody's stuff. I mean, right. that's wild that it was an actual law. But that's what, when we use it, and everybody, again, knows this saying. Right. You use it with your kids. You need to go the extra mile. Well, your employees. 
right? Yeah, Referring oh, yeah. to you need to work overtime and not get paid for it or whatever. But yeah, they had it as a law. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think we made a law so we couldn't force people to go that extra mile. There you go. <laughs> it's funny. But when you don't go the extra mile, literally and figuratively, sometimes we need a scapegoat. There Not you go. an escape goat. And I know you can't probably differentiate that over the radio, but scapegoat, right? That's Not the, an escape goat. Right. Scapegoat is the actual official term, not escape goat, even though escape goat is pretty practical when it comes to this. I get right. This is another Old Testament biblical thing in Leviticus 16, 7 through 10. He talked about that there are two goats that were selected. One was actually sacrificed. So they kind of were the loser in that. <laughs> the other was actually the scapegoat, that the high priests lay their hands on it, confessed their sins to it of all the people, and then they drove it out into the wilderness. So it's a symbolic uh, one was sacrificed, and one was the scapegoat that carried people's sins out into the wilderness and were kind of set free. That phrase has I stuck it's in its literal sense, it's right? It's literal sense. It's literal sense. That so, you know, when you're reading this, it kind of reminds me of the pardoning of the turkey, you know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, yes, but, yeah. it, it does actually have a literal meaning. Yeah. But, and that so. we continue to use in its form today of that somebody is the scapegoat. Somebody has taken on a burden that wasn't necessarily theirs. We just put them on Put, there, put them on know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there definitely. But I got to tell you, life in shambles. That's the one that people say this all the time. Man, my life is in shambles. My house is in shambles. And it, this has a literal meaning too. Right. Right? This came. But not what you think. But not what you think. <laughs> that, there you go. It originally a shamble was a bench. That's what a bench was called. It was specifically for butchers, right? Butchers, back in the day, you had streets, right, that were just had all the butchers down the street, and you would go and you go to the butcher shop, and you got your meat. If you Anybody who travels in some other countries, they still have. You go to the butcher for your meat. You go to the bakery, bakery for, your, for your, bread, your bread, and you don't go to a grocery store to get everything. <laughs> what happened was is that these butchers would go out, and they would uh, go out onto the streets, and they would sell their meat out into the street on these benches, and these streets were named shambles, and they are still continued to be called shambles today, so like neighborhoods were shambles and what happened is that the butchers would leave all of their like scrap scrap stuff out into the street and then it would be a mess it would be untidy it would be disorganized because of the market going on uh selling their butcher meat (laughs) and those were called the shambles so it has a literal meaning today that if it's messy if it's disorganized um it's in shambles right but at your house in it doesn't refer to rotting meat on the street (laughs) there you go there you go But it does have a literal meaning that still stays today. So it's kind of interesting when we talk about these things that some of them are not what we thought they were, but they all still have kind of the same meaning. They've kind of watered down over the years, but still. Exactly. Still pretty much staying true to their original meaning. Yeah, actually, it's, it's fascinating how they kind of stay right with their true literal meaning. But one of the things that comes up a lot is when we talk to people... And we don't really know them that well. We don't kind of, they give off a bad sense and then you're stuck with them somewhere and then they show their true colors, right? Yeah, it's like Cindy Lauper. Not only a Cindy Lauper song. There you go. Well, this is also a literal interpretation of showing your true colors. It started from pirate ships that they would actually put up a false flag 
to lure in other boats. And then when the other boat uh, was unable to escape, then they would put up their true pirate flag, their true, true color, and then they would pilferage and do whatever they did in taking over this other ship that could no longer get away that they lured in by being fake. Uh, by putting up a false flag, but then they did show their true colors at the end before they actually attacked them. So, same is true today, right? Except for it ended badly for that ship. When you say, you know, somebody showed their true colors, it generally is they showed up, they really showed who they were in the end, they falsified who they were, or you didn't see didn't see it for some un, right. you know reason, and then they show their true colors, and you got to see who they really were, and just like the pirates, it generally ends badly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but I don't go. think... As badly. Now, I don't think Cindy Lauper's song's that bad, but no. <laughs> but that's where the phrase comes from. Well, again, I think hers is actually kind of a nice thing, and I, I don't really remember the song all that well. But I bet you it could be reversed that people that you thought were bad. Well, I guess that's true, too. You know, they showed, they their, showed true their true colors, colors yeah. and you found out that they were, we're really... We're going to go with that. That's much better. That's right. That yeah, we, we think like that, that one. Somebody told us something bad about somebody, and then we got to see their true colors, and they were awesome. That's right. There we go. That's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> So on to the next one. Queer is a $2 bill. This was the person who requested this, asked for this one. Where did this phrase come from? It's actually not queer is a $2 bill. It's yeah, actually queer is a $3, $3 bill. Right, okay. But the queer is a $2 bill is very common. Queer, the word was weird and unusual is what it meant. It had nothing to do with any kind of homosexuality back then. Right, not um, a norm. Not a norm. Out of the norm, uh, weird or unusual. Uh, and it's not a $2 bill because that's not weird or unusual, right? We right. do issue $2 bills. But the $3 bill, we do, we obviously do not issue a $3 right. bill. Right. But we did. Prior to 1862, when states issued their own money by state before the um, central, bank. central bank became, you know, where all of our currency for the United States is all the same, each state was different, and some states did, in fact, have a $3 bill. So it was unusual. It was uncommon. And, and could you use it from state to state? I mean, I don't think so. I think it's kind of similar to the wooden nickel. If you heard mm. that phrase, right? Don't take a wooden nickel. Um, you used it in your own towns or your own communities. I see. Um, you could redeem it for shopping or whatever, but you really didn't just take any wooden nickel. You only could take your own. So I think that's very similar to that. So the $3 bill was. It was a thing. It's not a thing anymore. So the phrase being, when we use it today, referring to someone who is a homosexual. Right. And we refer to that is because they're unusual and different, but it does exist. Yeah. So and, so this one is has nothing to do with the literal interpretation. Right. Uh, we have well, just and, used it as a slang against a demographics of people right. to... To put them down and to make it a bad thing. Right. And the saying itself, I mean, queer has been around for ever. ever. Right. So the saying itself, queer is a $3 bill or $2 bill, That's it. that that just came out of the 1800s, it looks like. So, yeah. And, and just referring to something that's unusual. Unusual. And, it, and hard to find. It definitely is hard to find, but you can see a picture of it. I did look it up on the internet, and there is. It just yeah, says several, certified note or something like that. Yeah, several like states that. actually had $3 bills, and so you can, yeah, you can look it up. So there you go, folks. <laughs> but sometimes when we talk about the word queer, some folks turn a blind eye, don't they? <laughs> there you go. A uh, phrase that's refused to willingly refusing to acknowledge a particular reality or in that situation, a particular person, right? right? right. It dates back to the British Navy. Again, a lot of these things 
date back to the British Navy. There was a naval officer, Nelson, in 1801 in the Battle of Copenhagen, and apparently he could only see out of one eye. And when he put the telescope up to see what his people were waving, which they were actually waving a flag, you need to retreat, you need to retreat, you need to retreat, because we're losing. He put it up to his bad eye. He didn't see the person doing that, so they continued to fight, (laughs) and they went on to win the battle. Uh, And so turning a blind's eye uh, actually comes out of a battlefield myth that if you turn a blind's eye, that you can just keep persisting, and in this case, they won, uh, even though he did not see his officers telling him to withdraw. So this is kind of cool. This <laughs> one we usually use in a negative sense. Oh, they right. just turned a blind eye. You know, whatever the situation is. They but just didn't want to see the reality yeah, of the situation. they don't want to see the reality. But the folklore is actually a guy tr- being triumphant at a battle. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so still a literal meaning, but right. kind of different. Kind of different, but kind of the same. Used in a different context, but kind of the same. You're turning away from something that's negative and refusing to see it. And maybe you win, maybe you don't. In this situation, he did. In our situations, maybe we don't. Well, and here, let's just say that the battle was true. Mm-hmm. You know, when he went to his commanding officer, <laughs> I bet you he got the third degree, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There's several tales over the origin of the third degree. It's a saying that's commonly used for long interrogations, right? Whether yeah. it be with your kids or your spouse or, the, you know, that coffee. Or the murder. That, co- <laughs> yeah, that coffee never ends, right? Because the third degree just keeps going. To your comment, the theory argues uh, the phrase does relate to various degrees of murder in the criminal code. So it's, it is commonly credited back to Thomas Byron's a 19th century New York City policeman that used a pun, third degree Byron's, which described his hard-nosed questioning style. In truth, the saying is most likely derived from the Freemasons when they would undergo rigorous questioning and examinations before becoming the third-degree member or the master mason. Oh, well, now that makes sense to me. So even though it is said to come from the 19th century police officer, it really comes from the masons. But either way, it's still kind of a literal meaning. So when you come home and, you know, you were 15 and (laughs) you showed up at 1 a.m. and you got the third degree, the thousand questions... It's kind still of the literal. same thing. Yeah, there still you literal, you know. And it came from the Masons, so you know it has to be true. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that a lot of people say, and I think they mean it in, you know, you just got to get through it. You just got to make it happen, is bite the bullet. And you ever notice that people just, it's like, oh, you got to bite the bullet. That's you right. Know? Accepting something difficult or unpleasant. Again, there's dis- dispute over this because basically the phrase comes back that when doctors were short on anesthesia during a battle, I think the Civil War primarily, that the patient would be asked to bite down on a literal bullet. But there is, uh, they did have Ooh, more. Thank gosh, I'm born in this day. <laughs> uh, the first recorded use of the phrase was in, in, phrase was in 1891 and the light that failed. Oh, like the the book? The book, yeah. So, okay. But there is belief that they had more anesthesia back then I than they syndicate, I mean, so who knows if that's actually true, but that's where the phrase comes from, and that's what it means. I yeah, would have never thought about that, but <laughs> yeah, so when you're biting the bullet, think about that for a minute, that somebody's getting ready to saw your leg off or something. That's right. <laughs> but let's talk about when we're in a social setting, right? Mm-hmm. And you're getting ready, you're coming in, you're talking to people, and somebody comes in, it's like, well, you need to find a way to break the ice, 
It seems like an odd term to say when you're trying to meet people, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like, but everybody knows what it means. Well, and it comes back to road transportation. Really? (laughs) Right? It was not developed yet, so ships were the only thing that could transport goods and do trade. So in the winter, the ships could not get through big chunks of ice, so the receiving... Uh, whatever country it was that these ships were going to, they would send smaller ships in front of the big transport ships to literally break the ice, to clear the way for the trade ships. Um, So it's a gesture shown for affiliation and understanding between two territories, right? So you've got somebody shipping, somebody receiving. They send small boats to break. So breaking the ice are those small little things that we use to create a, um, a connection, so back then it was a connection of goods, right? Somebody shipping a good, somebody receiving a good. Right. Today it's generally referred to in breaking the ice of a small gesture or small things that we do to bond together with another person and generally in communication. So similar? I'm gonna I'm on, I'm on the fence with that one, but I gotta tell you, fascinating. I would have never put those two together. If you would think that if it came from a literal term, they would somebody be breaking the ice, you know, right. but um, would have never thought about that. But how it kind of flows into that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about barking up the wrong tree, because I've said that a million times. Well, this is referring to hunting dogs, that they chase their prey up a tree, right? The dog barks, and the thing is, is that they would assume it was in that tree, but then when oh, people really? came, that they actually were barking up the wrong tree. So it literally... <laughs> Hunting dogs back in the day that would be barking up the wrong tree, or the prey would actually jump from one tree to another, or whatever, and then and they, they would still, still be, be on that one tree, tree. <laughs> so they were literally barking up the wrong tree. Um, okay, now that's just so. This funny. is like misguided thoughts about an event or a situation or a false lead. You think that you've got it, but you really don't. Right, um, but right. that has yeah, literally coming from hunting dogs barking, barking up, up the, the wrong, wrong tree. tree. Yeah. That is. So funny. Well, and here, here's another one that most people say when they're talking about making amends. They're talking about burying the hatchet. Now, I've heard many different tales of this, but where does it really come from? It dates back to early times of North America when the Puritans were in conflict with the Native Americans. When negotiating peace settlements and different things, the Native Americans would literally bury their hatchet knives, clubs, and tomahawks to make them inaccessible. So they would, it has a literal really? mirroring. They would literally bury the hatchet in negotiations. Okay. Well, there you go. So, I did not know that. So they literally that. would not have them available to them to use if they wanted to use them so that they couldn't use them really? in negotiations. Now, see, this is kind of interesting. So what if somebody didn't bury the hatchet in the literal sense and they came to the peace meetings? They would be what, called Vikings. <laughs> what if they were caught? Would they be caught red-handed? Ooh, that's a good one. It's a, <laughs> an act of doing something wrong because they were supposed to bury the hatchet. Its original form comes from Old English law that ordered any person to be punished for butchering an animal that wasn't his own. The only way that a person could be convicted is if he was caught with the animal's blood still on his hands because he was caught red-handed. So literally <laughs> it has a meaning that... So if you killed somebody else's animal, uh, you needed to go wash up pretty quick because they couldn't convict you if you weren't caught red-handed. But when your hand's in the cookie jar, <laughs> getting a go. little Oreo, and you're caught red-handed... Not, Not the, the same, same thing, thing but kind of the same meaning. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> the next one I think is pretty interesting. I didn't know where this came from. That's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I say this. Yeah. I've said this a lot more than I think I thought that I did. And it has a literal meaning. You know, for 
this, you know, don't get rid of valuable things along with the unnecessary things. That's mm-hmm. what we talk about all the time. You know, what we talk about, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, is it going to really matter six months from now? Don't throw right. the relationship out because of something that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. In the early 1500s, people only bathed once a year. So not only that, but they also bathed. There you go. They also bathed in the same water without changing it. So you would go hierarchy, right? Adult males would go first, then females, then leaving the children, and the babies would go last. But by the time the babies got in the water, it was so clouded and filthy that poor mothers had to take extra care that the babies were not literally thrown out with the bathwater. So it has a literal meaning. It literally was part of our culture, and it's disgusting. But it's it disgusting. is what it is. I mean, but, but that's I get it. It's got a literal meaning, and I'm down with that. So, but one of the things that just gets me is how we use it today. Right. Kind of the same thing. Don't just don't throw out the baby with the bathwater when you're talking about doing whatever. But the literal meaning is, ugh. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which gets us to the next one that I think a lot of people are going to be surprised where this one comes from, is when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I thought that came from a biblical sense, but in fact, it did not. Really? I did too. I thought that it was in the Bible somewhere. Nope. Um, Well, St. Ambrose, who uh, he, he said, when I am here in Milan, I do not fast on Saturday. When in Rome, I do fast on Saturday. That reply has said to have brought about the saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Not necessarily from a biblical sense. Did not know that. I did not know that either. Yeah, I always assumed it was, Mm -hmm. you know, a biblical term. But we do say that all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. if we're in Canada, we say, well, you know, do as the Romans do. Well, there ain't no Romans in Canada. But, I mean, you know... But we go. do. We say it no yeah. matter where we're at. We, yeah, we and I think it. a lot of people do it to make excuses for bad behavior. Now, that's a good point. <laughs> I think yes. people use it for bad behavior. Yes, very good point. So there you go, folks. When you say it, you're probably doing <laughs> something bad. <laughs> but as we all know, the squeaky wheel always gets to grease when we do something bad. So your parents are always paying attention to your brother because he's doing something bad. But he's only doing what the Romans are doing. So. <laughs> there you go. An American proverb used to convey the idea that the most noticeable or loudest problems are the ones that are most likely going to get attention. Which is true. Which is true. So it's not actually from an American proverb. So we actually have one. We have As one. As opposed to the British. <laughs> uh, the British Navy has uh, most of these so far. And this is what you think about because it's a proverb. So it really doesn't have a origin like somebody goes, well, you know, that, that will squeaky. Let me go get a can right. of oil. And <laughs> As opposed to when the go gets tough, the tough get going. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from? I don't know. It is another American proverb. that is, is, it attribu- really? it is attributed to Joseph P. Kennedy, the president, uh, John F. Kennedy's father. He popularized the, the saying. Really? But it became very popular during Billy Ocean's song, When the Going Get Tough, the Tough Get Going. It has a variety of forms. goes back to John F. Kennedy, the president's father. Now, I would have thought this was, like, older than time, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I, I, it's an American thing. It's an American thing. Well, you know what? Go for it. Now, the one I like, I don't know, I've said it many times, is the pot calling the kettle black. Everybody has said this once or twice or 500 times in their life. Right. Usually used in a sense of accusing someone of a hypocrisy. And the origin of the phrase dates back to the, at least to the 1600s, because there are a lot of writings and a lot of plays in that time period that started using this. And it just basically Mm -hmm. means to criticize someone for a fault that you also possess. So, okay. But it, it comes from the 1600s and plays and books. That, yeah, it, that would no, make they sense. Never, it doesn't go back to a specific person. Or a specific pot 
Or Carol. <laughs> there you go. But don't criticize somebody for a fault that you also possess. And many times we do. There you go. <laughs> you know, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. Now, you, heard I, this, especially this, in business. Is this, a, is this a biblical term? I don't know. Actually, it's not a biblical term. Actually, it goes back to Machiavelli. Oh, really? And, you know, the concept of whoever you keep closest to you, it's really difficult for them to stab you in the back the closer they are to you. Yeah. Kind of like in self-defense, you want to go to the person, not run away from the person. Exactly, because it's harder yeah. to. So you can trust your friends so you don't have to keep them as close, but you need to keep your enemies closer. So literally meaning that they can't stab you in the back is easy if they're close to you because than you're if they're further them. away. Well, yeah, yeah, and they're literally closer to you. So it's really contributed to Machiavelli. Really? Okay, yep. see, I always thought that was a biblical term, so... Yep. The most published and coined phrase of this comes out of The Godfather Part Two in 1974. <laughs> so, most used, but it is a phrase that's been around for a long time. Well, I would imagine, because you think about it, it means exactly what it says. Yep. You know, that interesting. Now, what my mom always used to say... And she would say this when I was 16, and it just used to drive me crazy, is birds of a feather flock together. And we use this in our own way all the time when we say you are the six people you surround yourself exactly. with. Exactly. It is the law of attraction. Where you put your focus is where you're going to get your reality. However you want to say it, it has been around since the mid-1500s. It's an own, really? That's that an old English language saying which means that people who are similar to each other are going to share the similar interests and tend to spend the most time together. We say it all the time. Yeah. It's a mid-1500s English proverb, English saying that birds of a feather flock together. Totally makes sense. It's right where... It, this means exactly what it says, and you can't deny that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but also on the same instance, a picture is worth a thousand words. Another English la language phrase, the notion of the complex idea that you can convey just a single picture, and that one picture has a, a, a thousand different meanings. That's true. Um, what do we have in today's that does this is the emojis. That's true. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And one emoji could mean a thousand thousand different things yep so yeah that's a lot especially the well. poop emoji because <laughs> poop i thought emoji. it was an ice cream emoji <laughs> but that's that is so true so it so that comes from an old english idolism huh yep so one of the ones that got requested is fast as a new york minute what i mean that, that, that had to come from obviously america but it came from texas of course, <laughs> of course it did. Uh, it originated in Texas in 1967, a reference to the frenzies, hectic pace uh, that New Yorkers live, that a New Yorker does in an instant what a Texan would take a minute to do. Really? So, yeah. That, so, it literally uh, came out of Texas. Well, and I know people have a lot of them. I mean, it, it, this show could go on for five or six hours <laughs> with those kinds of things. But I did want to kind of touch on the ones that you found that were racially motivated right some i didn't realize that some of these like the peanut gallery i've, yeah. I've said it all the time yeah i'm not going to say it anymore the peanut gallery describes like you know kind of heckling or some sort of unwanted disruption right right uh it dates back to the 1920s that the peanut gallery was the upper balcony of the theater where black people were seated because of segregation and the word peanut because peanuts were a cheap theater snack and referred to that only really? that black people could only refer things that were cheap. So the saying peanut gallery is an insult to segregation and to black people that were forced to I did be not segregated. know that. Yep. 
That is fascinating. Okay, well, there you go, folks. When you hear that one, now you'll know where that came from. Yeah. Well, what's another one that we say all the time that's kind of racially motivated? No can do. Really? Yeah, I say that. I say You know, and uh, again, it's slang, and that was the point of it. It was an early 20th century way to put down the Chinese. Based on the common pidgin language, that was a type of slang used that you didn't speak English, so English was your second language. So it was used to mimic um, the phrase, I cannot do it, but that was hard for people that was their second language. So they just said, no can do. But it is a derogatory term towards the Chinese. Did not know that. Did not know that either. Um, Oh, now this is getting fascinating. What is the next one? Because I'm afraid I well, say this is these things. Um, long time no see. Right? Really? That was that is another term that was used to degrade and to put down indigenous people of the United States. Again, the same as the Chinese. Meaning, it, it means it has taken way too long, but I'm happy to see you. But again, they did not speak English very well. So they would say long time no see, and that just grabbed on, but it, it was a way to demean indigenous people in this country. Wow. <laughs> uh, another one uh, sold down the river. Now, the, I don't think this is going to be a surprise, but I never put any thought to this. Mm-hmm. It is a derogatory term towards slaves, uh, meaning, in, you know, kind of we said sold down the river, meaning you, you betrayed someone right. or, or whatever. It actually has a pretty literal meaning that it came from selling uh, and punishing disruptive slaves by selling them to locations down the Mississippi River where conditions were harder. So the further down the river, Mississippi River you got, the worse your conditions were going to be. Wow. So sold you down the river was is a definite uh, negative Did derogatory term that. for uh, slaves. Wow. Okay, that's eye-opening. Now the next one you have... I, I can't wait till you <laughs> tell us where this came yeah, from. Yeah, I didn't know this either. Hip, hip, hooray. I, right? <laughs> That's a good thing, right? right. Um, it actually means hep, hep, hooray. Okay, that's where it actually came from. We've been, we have evolved into hip hip hooray, uh-huh. being yay, a good thing, yay, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a Nazi rallying cry that they used when they raided Jewish ghettos during the Holocaust. Wow. Yep. Wow. Because hep in Latin, the acronym is for Jerusalem is lost. So it, this is not a good thing, people. Uh, wow. Hip hip hooray is not a good thing. It is a Nazi rallying cry. So I'm not using that anymore. I did. <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, the other one that I thought uh, was pretty interesting was "jip me off" or the term "gypsy" in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I I knew that "gypsy" was a derogatory term, but I never related "gypsy" to "jip me off." You know, or they gipped me. Did, yeah. You know, I, you know, I, if I you work in a restaurant that. and you're a waitress oh, man, they and they me, they yeah. gip me. Right? G means to take advantage of someone. It started out as a nickname for the Romanian people. Um, it is a nomadic Eastern European people that originated in India. They have been stereotyped as untrustworthy, right? Gypsies. Right. We, we put a negative connotation to the word gypsy here and abroad. When they came to Europe, they were thought to come from Egypt, which they did not. They actually came from India, but when the ships came in, they thought they were from Egypt. That's where the G comes from, so we got screwed that up from day one. <laughs> um, but the term gypsy is a racial slur which oppresses these people, and they still face worldwide discrimination. It wasn't, yes, I think, uh, hate crimes throughout the world. Uh, it wasn't until, I think, in 1998, I think, that we added this as a um, group of people that we 
discriminate against and that we mm-hmm. could have hate crimes against. So jip me off or jip me or any kind of version to gypsy is a very negative turn for a whole group of demographic people that have been mis- um, represented represented wow. from day one when they entered um, Europe. So, I mean, that's a very just negative wild. term. Well, now you know, yeah. folks, that there are actually sayings that we say every day that come from a derogatory statement. Right. A long Those time are ago. just some wow. of the some of the ones that I related to. I mean, there's I'm sure. Oh, all, I'm sure uh, there's tons, tons but. but those are ones that I had absolutely no idea where they came from. Well, and I think it was kind of fun, kind of. Finding out where these things came from. Some have very literal meanings. Some of them kind of morphed into other things. (laughs) And some are just downright derogatory. Right. So I think that this was a lot of fun doing this. It was. It was was really a lighthearted show that uh, it was a request. So I hope, uh, hope, Susan, we, we met your expectation of some of the th- some of the things that I think we addressed all the ones that she had sent me but it really should get us thinking about the things that we say and what we mean right how many things we say every day that really we have really have no idea what they mean or where they come from some of these things can be offensive to people from other cultures and you know we stated a few that were racist that I I didn't really realize where they came from and I'm not going to use them anymore the hip hip hooray for sure so pay attention to what you're saying Understanding where these words and phrases come from and help to explain how racism and oppression really get a stronghold in our society because we don't realize that we're actually being oppressive to other people. You know, in our marginalization show we talked about, we don't realize when we marginalize a population. This is one way that we marginalize them by using phrases that are derogatory towards their demographic group that we don't realize that are even derogatory. If it's coming out of my mouth, I'm responsible for what it means. Just because I don't know what it means and I'm hurting another person, that's on me. That is not on them. So we need to know what things are coming out of our mouth. Words really matter. Words can be hurtful. And we need to know what we're saying. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.